Hello everybody, faithful listeners all, newcomers, uh, random stumblers into the digital room that is the Madam's Cast. I've lined up another episode for you and, excitingly, uh, it's a bit of a first actually. Uh, and I'm not sure whether my guest knows that it's a first or not, but I feel a little bit like today's guest actually invited themselves on the podcast, which is, oh, I can hear her laughing in the background, so that's that's a positive sign anyway. Um, so we know she's definitely there, but the story goes, I got an email after the episode uh, about Wild Market from a, a nice lady showing some interest and telling me about what she did. And I thought, oh, okay, that's quite interesting. We'll have a little chat, blah, blah, blah. And now here we are. Uh, and, and she's sitting at the other end of the internet. Um, she is the founder of Larderbox. Her name is Charmaine Ponathuri. Charmaine, I know you're there. I can hear you giggling. Welcome to the Madam's Cast. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. I love that introduction. It's fantastic. Well, look, um, there's nothing actually, wrong. Actually, can I slightly correct you? Because okay. what I actually did was I sent you a message uh, with a passage from a book that I just read about um, revolution starting with food. Do you mm-hmm. remember that quote? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you're quite right. You're quite right. My befuddled middle-aged brains let me down slightly there. <laughs> there was a passage from a book, which in fact led me to ignore your Instagram message because I was like, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, um, so who was the passage by? Come on, we can't leave everyone dangling. Okay, so it was from the book, A General Theory of Oblivion uh, by Jose Eduardo Aglusa. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Probably okay. not. Um, and should I just read the little passage? Because yes, really nice. what I, do it. Let's ha- let's hear it. Let's hear it. So you can eat better without spending more. She explained to Little Chief. You and your friends fill your mouths with big words: social justice, freedom, revolution. And meanwhile, people waste away. They fall ill, and many of them die. Speeches don't feed people. What people need are fresh vegetables and a good fish broth. I'm only interested in the kinds of revolution that start off by getting people sat at the table. Wow. There we go. I mean, we could spend the whole episode just unpicking that, and I get a feeling that there might be <laughs> there might be a bit of a theme there. But we're diving in too fast, okay? I, I, I really like that, and uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to that to that book as well. Um, here's, here's what I'd like to do, though. I'd like to drag you back to the format of the Madam's Cast, and I would like you to introduce yourself, give us a little potted history of Charmaine, why we are sitting here having a natter about the world of food. I mean, you don't need to go back, you know, for, to the cradle. <laughs> well, they, <laughs> you can if you want. Um, it, it, it's up to you. But let's let's have a little bit of background because that's just a really nice, friendly way to get in and set up the episode so that everyone feels like they kind of get where you're coming from. Yeah. Okay. Good. Oh, maybe I'll start. I'll start with the larder. Maybe. Um, Do it. So yeah. the larder is something that I grew up with. My mother, you know, I'm Sri Lankan, Tamil. We grew up with lots of dal, lots of pulses. Um, never really appreciated her larder, particularly as a child, but have grown to really value its importance. Um, so going on from that inspiration to working at Books for Cooks, um, which is probably now. Ah. Seventeen years ago, and um, I actually stumbled into books for cooks because I needed to start cooking for my daughter, who and I wasn't really much of a cook then. So, um, and I started working there. So, luckily, I got a little job organising the workshops. And that's in Notting Hill, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, 
then that was just such an inspiring place to be for loads of reasons. Um, we used to have things like um, there was a woman writing a book about quince, and we did like we had a five course dinner party all about quince, all on quince. I mean, stuff like that. How can who you was that? Was that B Wilson? It wasn't B Wilson, and I've forgotten her surname. It was Je- her first name was Jane. Um, but oh yeah, okay, yeah, no, I do know who that is, uh, and I'll try and see if I can dig up her surname from my rusty brain. I've mm-hmm. read the book. Have you? Well, that's that was such a brilliant place um, for lots of things like that, and um, all the recipe testing, and just you can't not work there and fall in love with food. I mean, even if you had no interest, it's almost impossible. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that's that was the beginning, actually, of my I suppose the sort of uh, the big moment of really just wanting to be working in this area. Amazing, um, amazing. Well, that's pretty cool. I used to work just around the corner on Lancaster Road for Alistair Little when he had a, a, a restaurant there. Uh, so that's a, that's a completely different story. All right. So Books for Cooks, spin us forward. What happened next? Yeah. So then um, while I was at Books for Cooks, I put together this little book of, it was called An Anthology of Midnight Munchies. Um, and it was published by a French publisher called uh, Delirium in the south of France. Um, and it was basically a book of stories and memories of different people uh, eating at midnight. And um, it was illustrated. And what I really love is it kind of combined my interest in storytelling, food, and random encounters with all kinds of different people. So (laughs) it was really lovely. So then from that, um, started a cookware uh, business with, um, in France, which was the first pans were made in France. Um, which was really interesting, a lot lot about production and um, about cooking tools and how important they are um, in terms of flavour and the way you cook. I'm Mm -hmm. no expert, but that was a really interesting journey which sort of went on for nine years. Um, And Lada sort of came out of really... Partly at the time I was living in Wales and uh, there was a collapse of a company called Farm Drop um, and I was listening to Farming Today and a farmer called Dan Munson started talking about um, the impact um, of not having um, Farm Drop as a a seller for their their produce. And so that got me really just thinking about producers and... um, their voices and how important produce is in terms of the ingredients we pick and the value we put on ingredients. Mm-hmm. Just um, one thing, sorry, for listeners who don't know, uh, just in case. So Farm Drop was a boxed ingredient, uh, like, kind of like a, a, a mixed box of ingredients that you sort of subscribe to, is that right? Exactly, yeah. So it was, their idea was uh, farm's table, exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Um, sorry to interrupt. No, no, that's okay. So that's kind of how Lard began. And Lard began for me listening to Dan Munson talking on Farming Today one really early morning. Um, mm-hmm. And it sort of evolved from, from that to um, the current Larder box, our first offering. Um, so the first two boxes, I think I might just describe very quickly. The first Brilliant. one is with the secret, the book, The Secret of Cooking, which is just coming out by B. Wilson. Um, and the next, so it's all about that book and her favorite objects in the kitchen mixed with some ingredients um, that she thinks are important for different recipes and 
the idea of the box is also the box is made from mycelium and agricultural waste so you can grow herbs in the box mm -hmm. and the idea is that the box is a gift it's not a meal kit it's a gift so that you give this to a person and they have to go get creative in the kitchen so the book kind of gives you ideas and inspiration and then you may use some of those ingredients in the way B suggests or you may go off and do something else Mm -hmm. And what's lovely about her writing is that she suggests that you do exactly that and that you are, you know, you find your own inspiration. Um, and so the book and the thought about the cooking from scratch, which is what Lada's about, uh, went together really well. Um, and, okay. this, and then this week we just photographed our second box, which we're really excited about equally. Um, it's all about mushroom and the lion's mane mushroom. Uh, with the book Entangled Life by Merlin Sheldrake, um, mm -hmm. The Wonderful World of Fungi. And so, again, it's another sort of storytelling box about the mushroom this time, um, mixed, combined with some Italian cooking. Um, so, yeah, each box ideally tells a story and makes you want to go and be creative in your kitchen. So. Incredible. And for people out there who don't know, uh, or uh, are not aware, lion's mane, incredible multi uh, tooth, multifaceted tooth fungus, uh, incredibly uh, easy to come by these days, actually cultivated in all sorts of different locations across the United Kingdom, although in the wild quite rare. So if you find one, please do leave it alone. Um, absolutely incredible thing. It has, uh, I think I'm right in saying, it has some neurogenic uh, properties in that it can help to stimulate and protect your brain health exactly and for exactly that yeah and, amazing and you mustn't go and you mustn't go and um forage one if you see one because apparently they're they have the status of swan in britain oh only the king can eat them do you know i'm fed up with this class system it keeps yeah <laughs> keeps, okay. Maybe that's the secret to the longevity of these folk. Right, okay, uh, moving on from that slight, um, slight cul-de-sac <laughs> thought. Right, so overall, larder boxes, so there's food in there, but it's really about drawing people into cooking for themselves and the thoughtful process of that. And then potentially it's more about getting that awareness there that this is what we need to encourage on a political level and on a social level is that right yeah exactly so the idea is that there so there are a few things lots of people i did um, a little essay for monocle last year and the journalist said to me she's always terrified of like um even a bag of lentils like she doesn't know what to do with them so it's this kind of fear that we have maybe in our caused by a lack of basic cooking skills in what and how we can just go and look at our fridge, open a larder door or cupboard door or whatever, and just come up with something. So larder's sort of hoping that people will choose these ingredients, get these books, and then go off and have a little adventure of their own, but with, you know, some, some guides. So I think it's that. And as you've just said, it's so important to cook from, from scratch. It's good for your gut, and it's also good for the planet. And it's also just generally good for your mental health and just a way of, like, pausing in... And, and being still and in that moment of cooking, which, I don't know, has so many benefits and it's so fun as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I'm always slightly cautious of just affirming what my, um, what my interviewees say, but actually I'm just thinking about that and nodding along while I'm sitting here because a similar thing, ha well, something happened to me yesterday. I mean, and to be fair, this is a common thing for me, right? I live my life in food, I cook from scratch all the time. That's what I do. I've recently started growing stuff. 
Uh, and I was standing in the kitchen yesterday and I was like, well, I've got some venison stew out of the freezer because I do a lot of batch cooking. And I wanted to get something ready for the kids because it's busy. It's been a really busy week and they've got clubs last night and, you know, there's lots of dashing around going on. I was like, right, I need to have something ready when they get back. And I had a couple of marrows on the side because I've forgotten to pick the courgettes, right? So this happens. That's part of life. And I had this casserole and I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I went, if I had an aubergine, I'd make a kind of, Moussaka, and I was it was like right, it's marrow saka. That's what we're doing, and so I just flipped it. And I think it's that ability, uh, not only to come up with the dish or to use what's to hand and to reach into the larder and find the things and satisfy for me satisfy that creativity, but the ritual. I found it incredibly calming. The ritual of just right. I'm just going to cook for half an hour. I'm really busy. I've got a million things going on. The phone's binging left, right and centre. The kids are back. They're shouting. There's this going on over there. Caroline's working in the office. It's all going on. I've got a lot to think about. But do you know what? This is the most important thing. And before we'd even eaten it, I felt better. <laughs> and it's a, it's a hard thing to explain. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I think you've explained it really well. It is exactly that. And I think that in so many cultures around the world, it's just kind of we don't have this term foodie. It's just so normal to take mm. that time to nourish mm. ourselves and do exactly all of those things and just pause. But we actually have to think that we're pausing, which is slightly maybe the wrong way around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, indicative perhaps of the of the way that we lead our modern lives. Right, okay. So, I mean, I've got a very strong vibe of where this episode is going to go. I am convinced it's going to be difficult to narrow this down into channels and, and <laughs> the traditional three titles that I'm after. But we're, what we'll do is we'll work on that together as we go along. Um, so you do need to start, though, with a point, I think. So what is the first thing, even if it's the overarching thing, what is the first thing that you want to change about the world of food? So I think it actually starts with a conversation I had with you before this podcast, which was about how, as communities, um, we used to all go, well, a lot of people used to go to church on a Sunday. So there was one focal point of a week, whether you saw people or not, the Sunday would be the day that you'd go. So I'm yeah. not advocating religion or any of this in this okay. point that I'm making. But my, my, the idea that I have, that I'd like to see change the world of food is that we have a point where everybody goes whatever day, ideally every day of the week, where they can go and cook from scratch or be part of cooking from scratch in a food hub, in a food bank, in a community space, mm -hmm. um, and then learn to cook, cook with other people. And then very, and, and added to that, I met this amazing architect um, just by luck about a week ago, and she's been working on natural buildings. And in fact, her dad, um, many years ago in Sri Lanka, um, built houses out of you know, earth for the Sri Lankan government. And so she took this idea from her dad and has developed a clay oven, um, which we're hoping to work on together. So you just use the earth, you build the oven with everybody who's in this community space, mm -hmm. and then you cook from scratch. So the oven is literally from scratch and the food is from scratch. And there's something so beautiful about both those processes about the way you use your hands, you have working with other people, and then it could kind of, in the ideal world, connect lots of different people together. So not just people who are using a food bank, but just people that live nearby and just want to get involved with people around them and talk to them and yeah. 
Um, so I think the thing I love mostly about food is that kind of sense that when you're around a table or cooking in a kitchen, there's just this informality which um, and a basis for like so much creativity and openness, um, which I don't I don't know if other areas of life really give you particularly in the same way that food food does. So that's and I think that, that that those simple actions of cooking from scratch together with other people in your community, building something to actually cook on, could be like a little springboard to thinking about other creative ideas or ways of solving problems that we face locally in our communities. Um, so that's, that's kind of the thing that I want to change in food. Yeah. Okay, so number one, you've got this community-based kitchen. Yeah. Right. I, I like that idea. Obviously, I was bound to like that idea. Um, <laughs> I also like the idea that, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you can come and use it. So it's egalitarian, right? People are there cooking. Yeah. No one's asking any questions. You come along, you eat something, right? Yeah. I'm with you. So uh, there's lots of them practical questions that come out of that, but we don't necessarily need to answer them today. But then you're, what you're thinking then really is that that's just the start and what you want to see then is positive spin-offs from that. And I think maybe maybe that's going to lead us on to our, our next point. But I'm just interested, you mentioned food hubs and stuff. Have you spent much time in, in you know, in those places? Yeah, so actually about a week ago, I um, worked at a food bank in West London. Um, and it was a really interesting experience because basically they do have like a Tuesday lunch club where they cook and people are welcome to join. Mm -hmm. um, but mostly it's about just giving people um, food and so from a cooking from scratch perspective so obviously that's what I was thinking about when I was there mm -hmm. so there's some people that are sort of recent immigrants or refugees um, definitely know how to cook and they're looking for the ingredients they're looking for like just raw ingredients but then there are people that are maybe kind of more from here based in Britain or um, I don't know if I can say indigenous, if that's really the right word, but... Well, you can, you can, but what indigenous is in the United Kingdom, I have no idea. I mean, we've been, you know, in ancient history and modern history, we've been terrible for interfering in affairs that aren't ours and invading other places, but <laughs> there are a few places in the world that have been invaded and taken over more from the United Kingdom. So I find the whole thing completely baffling. I mean, what British is, hopefully, is this fantastic melting pot of everyone doing their best to get on. That's what I'd like. Yeah, well, that's that. Me too. But so let's. I say let's put it another way. So there are say generations of families yeah. that just don't know how to cook, and so they're totally reliant. They come to the food bank and they want things that are already made, or they want, or they're really relying on sort of high sugar, high fat, and they just don't know how to cook. So mm -hmm. there are all of these amazing ingredients, and sometimes ingredients are rejected at food banks because yes, yeah. people can't don't know how to use them. So I yeah. think that's terrifically sad. So in my very small slot as volunteering there, I did try to sort of like go, well, you could do this with some pulses, and but people just don't know how to do that, and that's the kind of and I think the larger thing for me again is like those ambient ingredients, like knowing how to use pulses is just such a simple takeaway to improving your life very, very immediately and very inexpensively because you have to think about how much fuel you're using and all of the other stuff as well and yeah. what cooking implements yeah. you have. So it's just getting really, really simple. And I think 
the other takeaway from volunteering at that food bank was that people, it's not just even about the food, it's just about feeling lonely. It's about feeling outside of everyday life. Um, you don't have a job necessarily. Um, I don't know, you might have like health issues. Um, and you and, ma- and mainly like your self-confidence and self-esteem has been so battered by so many things that you almost feel embarrassed. So it's just like, they really, people just really want to sit together and chat. And we did a lot, I did a lot of that, made cups of tea. I don't know if I was allowed to do that, but it was just really nice just to sit with people and like have a hug and I don't know, just talk about their lives and just be like, well, I'd never have got that opportunity if I was just sort of, you know, trundling around in my normal life. And I think there's such a beauty in that. And that's why this whole thing about like cooking together and yeah, being with people is just so important. And I think- Okay, okay. Because of my- (laughs) Yeah. Because of my Madam's Cast filing system, what I'm gonna do is, um, is I'm gonna call that actually number two. And I'm gonna entitle it, I think, develop community forums around food okay okay because I, I i sort of get where you are actually sitting at the table looking someone in the eye and having that slightly polite conversation or slightly awkward conversation about how you are and what's going on and all of that stuff is very difficult but if you've got a plate of food in front of you and a drink you know a nice cup of tea for example and you're just you know conversation just starts um, but then also in there, we had this cooking from scratch thing. So I think that's going to rear its head later. Um, but I think, you know, I quite like what you were saying about pulses as well, because it's so full of fiber. That's really good for you, really good for your health and therefore your mental health and all of that stuff. So, yeah, there's a challenge there within these community based food hubs that exist at the moment that perhaps the skills aren't there. And that's not to knock them, right? I mean, they're doing an amazing job in difficult circumstances and without them, we'd be absolutely stuffed. So totally not criticising at all. But whether that's something that maybe the chefs and foodies listening to this podcast might think about, perhaps we could get together and set up something where we could donate a bit of our time, half a day a month or something, just to go in and expand the repertoire of the guys working in these places so that they can accept more ingredients, feed more people and offer a more varied diet would be quite a nice thing. Yeah, because so that's a really interesting point. That would be amazing. And also because a lot of those places, like the one I was in, they don't really have a kitchen. So this idea of building an oven, right, an outdoor oven, which you can cook on, means that you can get chefs or cooks or foodies, or uh, I'm using that word, which I don't really like, to come and help teach people to cook from scratch and eat together and feed people. So I think... We could supply the oven and we could supply the expertise. There's already all the produce and some of which gets wasted even at a food bank. So I feel- Yeah, you might get into trouble in London burning solid fuel in a, in a little oven outside. Um, yeah, we need to air work exclusion out. zone and stuff. So you just need to make sure you check that before. I don't want you getting arrested on a technicality. <laughs> okay, so actually I've changed point number two for you and I've, I, and I've made it an evolution of point number one and I've said use the community kitchens to rebuild social connections. Yeah, nice. Okay, fine. Shall we have a sub note there? Say expand food repertoire. I don't know whether that quite fits there, but I can always take it out later. That's the beauty of a podcast is I can edit it. Okay. All right. So it's all looking good so far. I, we've gone, you know, community-based kitchens, and then we've got ideas bolted onto the side of them that's going to help 
kind of uh, yeah. develop these ideas going forward. So we need a third uh, and final thing that you'd like to change about the world of food. Now you can connect it back to these stories you've been talking about already. You can come up with something new. You can throw it completely off piece. You can do whatever you like. What What do you think your third thing? And I know it's difficult because we all want to choose about nine different things, but. Yeah, I, I'm pretty focused on these things. I don't really have, like, I have, okay, I think my third thing, it's not exactly about food itself, but it's like okay. food as the kind of um, propeller to this. So uh-huh. we have like these issues around, you know, skills deficits, like this, there are, there, there is, there are opportunities for everybody to go and do something that they find interesting um, in the world. There's not just like a limit to that. Whereas there are lots of people that are kind of outside the scope of work or doing something that they're passionate about. So could these little projects evolve into um, kind of spaces, almost like kind of live think tanks where people come in, come and cook, eat some food, and then may go, oh, well, you know, I've got this kind of opportunity that I'm working on and I really need some skills. And would you like to come help me? Or what are you really interested in doing? And maybe this is like a path to education or like actually practically helping people be on the eating to kind of move on and solve some of their other problems. So that makes that's a bit of a leap. But Yeah, no, I like it. I like it. So we're using we're using the act of cooking and communal eating or sharing food as a fulcrum to begin new journeys or develop uh, onward motion in people's achievements. Yes, I like that word. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. So that's my third thing. And it takes a sort of nicely full circle back round to the start, because if you are stuck and anyone can get stuck, Uh, from any walk of life whether that's mental health related or dietary health related or work related or you know financial crisis related whatever it is anyone can get stuck at any time and I think there's lots of interesting stories about people from different walks of life bumping into different people and that's the thing that sets off the spark that ignites their next sort of bout of of progressive behavior so I think that's that's a really that's a really nice one um, and I like it. Oh, so that's good. So basically, just to recap, in in the world of in your Madam's Cast journey into changing the world of food, you, number one is you've got these community kitchens together. You've got people cooking from scratch. Number two, you've used the community kitchens to build social connections and improve well-being. And then thirdly, there's another positive spillover from that. <laughs> Yeah. is that is that from these incredible places these connections that are being made in point two we then have forward motion to improve life for other people life for the people we're talking about now and then you know that that sort of positive situation outgrows so what we're what we're really talking about here is kind of the provision of some bowls of lentils and a room in which to sit <laughs> yes that's lovely it's, is yeah. causing some sort of tsunami of social change. Yes, that's exactly going back to that first quote that I sent you when I messaged you. Okay. Um, wow. I mean, you know, I'm I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on board. I'm on board. I mean, 
I can add one more thing, actually, Tim. Hang on a minute. You've, oh, okay, it's got to be within one of the other points, though. I can't let you have four points. I'm too, I'm too hard line on that. No, no, it's within the points. And it actually links to um, Entangled Life and the Merlin Sheldrake book because there's a really... I've got to reread this bit again, but there's a beautiful bit when he's basically saying how Mycelium kind of challenges the idea of us just our individual identity, the idea that we think of ourselves only as individuals. Mm -hmm. Actually, that we can't, that that's just not very progressive. Thinking of ourselves like within this, my three points is about thinking of ourselves in the other as the other and connected. So that was it, that was it. I wasn't going into a fourth. No, it's interesting. Okay. And so for those of you that don't know, Merlin Sheldrake's written a book called Entangled Life, which is all about mycelium and fungi and how they interact with each other, um, or don't interact with each other, how they interact with the, the rest of the, the biological world, if you like, uh, mycelium being the underground bit of fungus that you don't see until the mushrooms pop up. You can't see the mycelium. It's the, basically though, without mycelium, nothing would happen. Uh, and so it's quite an interesting book from lots of different points of view and it jumps about a bit as well but it is it's worth a read and you'll definitely learn some stuff from it um not only about mushrooms but about the the connectivity of life uh, so they call the mycelium the wood wide web because it <laughs> communicates between plants and shares nutrients between plants and you know all of this stuff is quite it's quite fascinating when you start to, to learn about it also it is an entangled life we all lead an entangled life, no matter how belligerently we sit here and pretend, you know, we're on our own, we've got our own little unit, and that's all fine. Mm. Everyone is exposed to influences from outside and creates influence on the outside. And often we misunderstand our potential for affecting change uh, around us. So, wow, I mean, yeah, I, this has been a very, a very in-depth and quite ethereal i guess episode so far i've quite enjoyed it i mean you know we haven't stumbled too much upon the practical complications of setting up community kitchens we haven't um you know we haven't tried to sort of fix any of the you know doubtless admin tasks that will pop up as we try and step from one to one point one to two and then onwards to three we've just embraced it all as a possibility and it, is that the most important thing um, I think that's the first step, and I think that um, I have connected with four in ten in the, well, I'm based in London, um, which are a child's anti-poverty, anti-food poverty charity and mm-hmm. sustain. So I think it's really I know, getting people together to execute it within the systems that we already have. So I think it's possible. I think the ethereal can be made practical. I think it's quite some small steps, but not impossible. No, no, not impossible at all. Uh, you know, and there are examples of, of great stuff happening, you know, in, in places all around the globe. I mean, you know, and lots of great people doing great stuff um, to work on these problems. Uh, fascinating, fascinating. Um, okay, and the better we feed these people, of course, the, the <laughs> not that it's our job to do it, but the better that, that people are coming together as a community and eating, the more they will feel empowered to change stuff because they will have the energy and the mental stability to get involved and crack on so let's not leave it to the politicians right exactly yeah going back to that quote yeah and it's and it's like people when you see another person you look them in the eye or you sit with them and you eat with them and you i don't know you get to know them maybe even like our preconceptions they kind of 
they move about hopefully and we like go oh yeah okay i understand how this might be for you and how may it be better anyway that's idealistic but possible maybe you could and there's there's a there's a there's a platform uh called we fifo which is we find food and it's it's all about um people hosting little events in their house or in their garage and you can book and go and eat in someone else's home. Um, now, you know, it tends to be sort of often, it's quite a, uh, an interesting, you know, it's a sort of reasonably priced thing, but it's not cheap and it attracts a certain kind of person, but it does put strangers into other strangers' lives to eat with them. And that, that for me was always the kind of the trick of that, uh, that, that project. I really like that. Um, I wonder if there's a different one though. I mean, I wonder if, you know, you could, you could perhaps harness social media to sort of, uh, create a kind of vibe where, you know, you eat with a stranger. If you eat on your own every day, maybe you could match people who are sitting on their own and eating and they could take it in turns to eat at each other's place or meet in a public place and share a, share a sandwich or something. And, and, and start to build connections that way. I wonder if there's something there that would, would help to sort of begin to get the groundswell going so that you could start more of these community kitchens and um, uh, and promote that via your larder box or something. I think that's a great idea, Tim. And I think that you can then connect that back into all of the food banks and community projects that exist. And so everything like connects again. I think that's lovely. Yeah, I like that. Uh, yeah, because we could get, I mean, you know, you get people from all walks of life ending up sitting on the same bench yeah. in the same park in London, yeah. having, a, having a chat with each other or Birmingham or Newcastle or, you know, maybe it's maybe it's a, a lonely, a lonely bench in the in the Highlands somewhere. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like I'm charmed by the idea. I'm not sure what the practicalities would be, but uh, hey, we're not having that kind of episode. Um we are having an episode of the Madam's Cast, though, and I think if you're happy to move on, we now need to do the jolly bit at the end where you get to nominate a future guest of the Madam's Cast, alive, dead, real, fictitious, willing or otherwise. You also get to recommend a food-related book for us to, um, to, to add to our collection or, or swap with somebody else, and you get to choose a drink that you might drink while you were perusing that book are you prepared for your final three I am. I am. I am. okay okay <laughs> well Charmaine without further ado where would you like to start most people start with the book but it's up to you okay so the book would be um it's out in September it's called good taste a life of food and passion by Elaine DeCasse or Alan DeCasse um and yes yeah, so that would be my book Okay, Alan DeCasse has a new book coming out. Okay, that's quite exciting. Um, are you getting paid by the publishers to promote it? <laughs> no, but I've just been very kindly sent a copy, which is okay, so okay. nice. Yeah. Can you give me the title again? Because I was so busy trying to write it down. It's called Good Taste, A Life of Food and Passion. Okay, I've written that down. That's good. So the closest I got to Alan DeCasse in my working life was I had a uh, an encounter with a, I think it was a Swiss chef who was working in a hotel restaurant kitchen with me and uh, we were making something fairly classic like a niçoise salad or something and uh, he was trying to put peppers in it I said look you can't put peppers in a in a niçoise salad what are you doing and he said well it's good enough for Alan Ducasse and I was like okay well then that became the thing for the whole week anytime anyone did something a bit off piece I was like 
Was that Alan Decass? Has he come? <laughs> has he come up with that plan? So it's probably reflecting my own ignorance as much as anything else. But it was a nice little, um, a nice little Alan Decass always reminds me of that moment. But one thing I know for sure is that will be a mega book worth picking up. It's um, interesting that you use that example because actually in the introduction of the book um, or in the first chapter, one of the lines is: first of all, make he says, first of all, make do with whatever you've got, with whatever nature offers us, and whatever is available. Um, each of my restaurants is linked to a vegetable garden, and then he he goes on to talk about how important those things are. So I think there you go, add the pepper. <laughs> well, if you happen to have them, but yeah. don't order them specially just because exactly. that was how they were making it at the yeah. Decass kitchen when you happen to be there. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, quite right, quite right. I agree. Um, okay, well, I'm going to make a Niswa's salad uh, this afternoon and I'm going to use smoked mackerel because we shouldn't be eating tuna. Uh, and then I'm going to I'll see whatever else I've got knocking about and we'll chuck that in there. It's probably going to be marrow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love okay, so we've got a book. We need a drink and a nomination. Okay, so um, the drink is allowed a martini because it's very nice with mushrooms. A what martini? <laughs> a louder martini. As in, it's turned the music louder? Yeah, or... yeah. Okay, okay. And what's what's so special about a, la- a louder martini? Um, I don't know what all the tasting notes are, which I should have okay. put down, but they do, it's... it's um, really good with mushrooms and um, okay oh, that's good enough for me we can research it and find out uh, what's in it um that that'll be fun louder <laughs> martinis make me louder that's a definite <laughs> uh, <clears throat> you know the old the old rhyme about martinis which is meant to sort of keep you on the straight and narrow should you be at a cocktail party <laughs> no i don't know it. Oh, you don't know it. okay was it it goes um i love a martini three at the most Two, I'm under the table. Three, I'm under the host. That's where it is. So, uh, in fact, it might be I love a martini too at the most. But I, I mean, you know, maybe they were promiscuous. I don't know. Okay, so that's uh, that's a drink, and well done for choosing a pretty hardcore drink as well. That's quite impressive. And who? So, who would you like to nominate then as a future guest of the Madam's Cast? Uh, I think I'm going to say Tom Herbert actually. Oh, okay. Elucidate. Um, because I went to visit his project in Stroud and the long table and it's all about the same themes about getting people around the table um, Mm -hmm. with one bowl of food that gets built up from being vegan to vegetarian to meat or fish with local produce people pay what they can afford but they all sit around one table because it's all about eating together so you know like yeah, it's an amazing project. It is. It's very Stroud, actually, but it's a very which it got quite. A, it's quite a nice liberal place, but yeah, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. It sort of all ramped up a bit over lockdown as well, didn't it? They yeah, sort of grew, grew a bit. Then yeah, it's quite fascinating. Well, okay, that's given me a really good reason to chase Tom up and actually finally get to grips with him and, uh, and see if we can drag him onto the podcast. Wow, Charmaine, what a fantastic uh, episode that was. I mean. You know, I feel like I've been slightly steamrolled by your ambitions here. Um, <laughs> I've failed to challenge you on any any of your points, basically because I agree with agree with them all. I think they'd be wonderful things to do, and um, I look forward to hearing more about Larder Box as it grows and inspires other people. Um, wow, I think I need to lie down. <laughs> 
Let's see, I think my last note here is that if there's anyone out there uh, looking for a force of nature to get involved with their community foodie products, they need, you know, projects, they need to get in, in touch with Charmaine because of nose popping her. Um, I think within, within, you know, within a couple of hours of being in touch, I've had a couple of different PDFs sent to me explaining in idiot terms various things that you've been trying to get over to me on the phone. So um, very organised, very driven. Um, Charmaine, thanks for coming on the Madam's Cast. <laughs>